how long through death's unveiling her struggles overcome heaven's journey just begun to search Christ's steps and ever to follow. Let us pray. Dear Lord, may the words that I speak be your words and let the people here today know that you speak to them through me. In your son's name we pray, amen. It's one of the most impressive parts about Easter. And it began long before that first Easter morning when Jesus rose from the dead. On numerous occasions, Jesus predicted that he would suffer, that he would die, and that he would rise from the dead. He told his disciples, he told his enemies, and then sure enough, on Easter morning, Jesus rose from the dead just as he said. Yet everyone was surprised when it happened. It was as if they weren't listening or they weren't paying attention or they didn't know what Jesus meant. This illustrates an important fact to you and me, though. That whenever Jesus says something, you can guarantee that it will come true. Because not only does Jesus have the most perfect track record, he proved it by fulfilling his biggest claim that he would rise from the dead. Today is Good Shepherd Sunday. Every year, about a month after Easter, we take a look at another one of Jesus' really big claims. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. And based on everything that Jesus has ever said, based on everything that Jesus has ever done, do you and I have any reason to doubt Jesus when he tells us that he is the Good Shepherd? No. Absolutely not. But when you take a look at the words from John chapter 10, that's exactly what you find. You see people who go up to Jesus and ask him to prove his claim that he is the Messiah, that he is the Good Shepherd. And Jesus, by using his words and his actions, he proves to them and also proves to you and me that he is the Good Shepherd. And you know, Jesus calling himself the Good Shepherd, that's normal to you and me. We understand that Jesus, the Messiah, is also the Good Shepherd. We understand that. We see pictures of Jesus holding a little lamb, lamb, maybe in some churches, maybe in some people's homes. But the first people to hear Jesus say Good Shepherd things, like, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, or I lay down my life for my sheep, the first people to hear those sorts of things were not Christians. They were not people who lived in a historic, historically Christian country. Quite the opposite, actually. To the Jews, it was strange to hear Jesus tie his messianic identity to a lowly shepherd. They weren't expecting a Messiah who talked about sheep they didn't want a Messiah who talked about dying for sheep. They wanted a, a leader, a Messiah who would give them everything they wanted, which was national independence, maybe economic stability, a robust economy, and a future for themselves and for their children. The last thing on their mind 
was a Messiah who identified himself with a shepherd who holds stinky lambs in his arms. The Jews just, they couldn't understand Jesus' claim that he was the good shepherd. And they didn't want to. We just read that this all happened during the festival of dedication, which means that this was the time when Jewish families would gather around the dinner table and talk about how proud they were to be God's chosen people. They would remember the people, the the leaders in their nation's history that had preserved their temple, preserved their culture from pagan countries. They would gather together and remember the Messiah and dream about the day when God would send him to make Israel even greater, even more powerful than when King David sat on the throne. This was the time when Jews were most proud to be Jews. You know this holiday as Hanukkah. The only problem was, is that already back then, there existed this common misconception that the Messiah existed for the sole purpose of giving a comfortable life on this earth. The Jews were not looking for the good shepherd to give them eternal life. They were looking for any shepherd to give them a good life on this earth. And when they saw Jesus claimed to be the Messiah and also the Good Shepherd. They couldn't connect the dots. They didn't see how the two things could possibly agree. But the Jews back then were not the only people, are not the only people who expect Jesus to be involved with the affairs of their nation. If there was ever a nation full of people like the Jews, would it not be this one? People like you and me? who expect Jesus to be involved politically? If you expect Jesus to get involved and you feel more comfortable or you feel more at ease if the right person is in power, might that suggest to you that maybe you're not looking for a good shepherd but for a political messiah? Maybe you might expect that your political beliefs will always align with God's eternal will, but they might, but they also might not. And the fact that we find more comfort or we feel more at ease or we think or at least it seems to us that God is in control when the country is headed in the right direction, whether to the left or to the right, might suggest that we're not looking for the good shepherd, but that we're looking for something similar to those Israelites, somebody who will give us something on this earth, give us a comfortable life. It's not just a political issue. This happens all the time in our personal lives as well, where we expect Jesus to be involved because there's problems. There's issues in our lives. I mean, he calls himself the good shepherd, yet the ones we love, the ones closest to us, maybe we ourselves are experiencing pain or physical, physical harm. We see the pictures of Jesus holding a little lamb in his arms. We expect him to protect us. Yet not a day goes by where we feel more overwhelmed, swamped with the dealings of this world, the troubles and the stress. He calls himself the good shepherd, but we don't always see how Jesus does something for our biggest problems, whether in our personal lives or with the biggest problems of this world or of this country. And when it seems like he's not involved the way we expect him to be involved, We would love to ask him to prove it. 
to say, Jesus, you call yourself the good shepherd, but based on what I'm experiencing, based on what I'm seeing, I'm not really seeing how those two things can agree. That's how the Jews felt when they saw Jesus walking in the temple. They, insert, they circled around him, they surrounded him, and they t- asked him, they said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. If they were going to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they expected him to prove it right then and right there. Don't you see that sort of thing today? People expecting Jesus to prove or expecting God to prove that he is the good shepherd, that he is who he says he is in his word. You'll hear people say things like, if God was really out there, why doesn't he just give us a sign? Why doesn't, it just, why doesn't he just do something so that we could see for ourselves that he really is out there because there's all this pain, there's all these wars, there's starving people all throughout the world, so why doesn't God just do something? Do anything, and then I will believe in him. Then I will believe in him because when it seems like God is not involved in the issues that we think are the most important or the issues that are really important in this world, we wonder, and we want to ask him for proof. Proof. First of all, whoever said that God owes it to you and to me to give us proof? Second of all, who's to say that God has not already proved it? Listen to what Jesus said when they asked him for proof. He says, I did. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. What were the works? Well, he healed sick people from deadly diseases. He gave blind people their sight. He even fed hungry people thousands at a time. And on top of all that, he even raised dead people back to life again. That was their proof. Jesus had already given them everything they possibly needed to see that he truly was the Messiah, the Good Shepherd. Okay, but what about you and me? We live 2,000-some years later. Are those miracles really expected to be proof for you and me? They are. Because these miracles were not just done behind closed doors to a select group of people. They were done in the wide open. And even the people who questioned if Jesus was the Messiah did not question the fact that miracles were happening. For example, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus' enemies did not deny that miracle. They didn't say, no, no, that didn't happen. No, the opposite, actually. They made plans to kill Lazarus so that people would stop talking about the miracle that had happened. And the fact that they did not just outright deny it, but that they made a plan to keep people from talking about it, proves to you and me that they acknowledge that it did happen, that Jesus did raise a dead man from the grave. He proved it. And on top of all that, he gives them and he gives you and me the greatest proof of awe. He tells us in his word ahead of time that he would suffer, die, and then rise from the dead. And he did. Jesus' enemies could not deny the fact that the tomb was empty. They couldn't. 
They could only come up with theories to try to convince people that it was a hoax. All the while, hundreds of people are coming forward saying that they saw Jesus with their very eyes. Some of those people would even die for that claim. People don't die for something that they know is false. They die for something that they believe to be true. So they circled around him, asked him for proof. Tell us plainly, they said. Jesus could have given them the signs that they wanted. He could have done, done any number of things to prove it to them. He could have, in a matter of seconds, made the entire Roman Empire implode. He could have made Jerusalem the new Rome. He could have done any number of things. But do we really think that that would have changed anything? I mean, think about it. If God gave this world a sign today, let's say, for example, he, sent, he sends his son into the world, and Jesus starts healing sick people. He starts giving blind people sight. He starts feeding thousands of people at a time. He ra even raises dead people from the grave. Do we really think that all of a sudden people would believe in him? I mean, we've already seen that movie. That's exactly what happened. Jesus did that, and the people who questioned whether or not he was the Messiah didn't all of a sudden bow down and praise him. No, they killed him. And so for us to think that if God would just give some sort of sign that everything would be different, just, that doesn't work. And second of all, do we really want Jesus to prove it? Do we really want him to give us the things that we think we need? Let's just imagine for a moment that Jesus did give those Jews everything they wanted. He gathered up an army, expelled the Romans from Jerusalem, cleared Israel from their control, gathered an even bigger army, then marched all the way up to Italy and conquered Rome, made Israel the new world superpower. Then what? They have everything they ever wanted. But then what? They live their lives in a slightly better position than before. Then what? Then they're still in their sins. And then they die. So do we really want Jesus to give us proof, the proof that we think that we need? Jesus gives us proof, but he gives us so much more than we could ever think to ask for. He gives us so much more than we could ever be prepared to receive. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. My sheep shall never perish. Jesus gives us so much more than just a life on this earth. He gives us life forever. He could easily give us a life that is pain-free and easy, but to expect only that or to ask for only that would be like asking God for $5 when he's ready to give you trillions upon trillions. He's given you himself the good shepherd for eternal life. Not just a good shepherd or a shepherd for a good life on this earth. He's given you a shepherd for eternal life. But what about now? What about this life? Does God just say, okay, I'll see you up there. Good luck. You're on your own. You can figure it out until then. <laughs> no, that's what 
That's what the good shepherd is for. That's why Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Because when a shepherd speaks to his sheep, it's because he's leading them somewhere safe. Leading them to shelter, to water, or to food. Maybe it's because he's calming them down because they're scared. He knows his sheep. He knows which ones are afraid. He knows what each one is experiencing. He knows which ones he just needs to pick up and hold in his arms because they can't go on the rest of the journey alone. Jesus knows you. He knows what you're experiencing. He knows the pain that you are enduring. And he knows what you need. He proved it. He proved it by giving you your greatest need, not just a life now, but giving you a life now and forever, giving you himself, the good shepherd. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. So listen to his voice in his word when he speaks to you. When you're worried about the medical issues of yourself or of a family member, and it seems like maybe Jesus would be distant, listen to what he says. Surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. When the problems of this world, of this country, or of this life push down on you and they pile up on you and you don't know how you could possibly go another day, listen to Jesus' voice. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When you're concerned about your future or the future of your children because of past mistakes or because of the direction that this country or this world is headed, listen to Jesus' voice. He says, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And guess what? He doesn't just say that. He proves it. So listen to the voice. Listen to the comfort that the good shepherd gives you. Because he's proven that every comfort he says to you is certain and it's backed by his eternal works. The good shepherd laid down his life for you and he took it back up again for you just like he said he would. And that's not just to prove to your heads that this is what he does and that it's reasonable. He proves it by saving you with these very actions, by laying down his life, by taking it back up again. That's what's so great about Easter. Because Jesus gives us every reason to no longer doubt what he says, but to believe him. And with those very actions, he saves you and me from not just this life, but he gives us the next life. So no matter what troubles come your way, no matter what happens to you in the here and now, nothing can change the fact, nothing can change what Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. He gives you eternal life. And he leads you there with his voice. He proved it. Amen. Please stand.
The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Please join with me as we recite the words of the Nicene Creed on page 11. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures.